If you brought your Bibles, you can open to 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you didn't, I'm just preaching on one word to, or on one verse today, so we're going to put it on the screen for you. Normally I don't do that. We normally pass out Bibles, um, but, uh, and those certainly are available to you if you want a Bible there in the back. Um, but uh, I'm just going to put it on the screen today uh, as we talk about the living hope that we have as Christians. And that's what Easter is all about, the fact that we have a living hope. We have a risen Christ. Listen to what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now there's four main things to see here in this verse. First of all, we see what God is, who God is, and that he is a merciful God. Some people relate to God as, you know, he's a malevolent God. He is up in heaven with a with the magnifying glass and you are the ant, and that's the way that God thinks about you and relates to you. That's not true. God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. And so we see that. We also see not only who God is, but we see what God has done. He's begotten us again. This phrase uh, means literally to be born again. We're going to look at that in our message today. See what it means to be born again. And so who he is, he's a loving God, a merciful God. What he's done, he, is, he has begotten us again to himself as his own children. We're, we, we have the opportunity to be born again as children of God. Not only that, we see how he did it. He did it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? We have a Savior who paid the penalty for our sin, past, present, and future. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin, the penalty that is due, which is death. The death penalty is due. We're going to talk about that more here in a minute. But how did God uh, raise us to be, you know, give us the hope of eternal life? How are we born again? It's by raising Jesus from the dead that we can be raised from the dead. And that leaves us with what we have because of the work of God. And that's what we're going to focus on today, which is a living hope. Now, hope is a peculiar thing. If you consider hope, sociologists, psychologists, they've studied this, this thing, hope, and they tell us that hope is essential for life and for health. If you have a prisoner, if you have somebody who's been taken captive, if they lose hope, chances are they will not survive. They will not endure. And indeed, hope affects survival rates. It affects our ability to endure pain and suffering. Uh, and even our performance in jobs and school, hope plays a role in that. Scientifically, they've discovered that hope is correlated uh, with uh, higher performance Hope is, is correlated with higher test scores, with a higher grade point average if you're a student. Medically, hope has been proven to energize the recuperative process. If you're ill, hope plays a role in healing. Um, hope uh, not only does that, it reduces pain. If you, for, for burn patients, they've, they've found scientifically that those with hope, uh, they, they heal better and they, they manage their pain uh, better. Circumstantially, we see that hope strengthens us to face unimaginable trials. 
It sustains the prisoner. It lifts the persecuted. It breathes life into the brokenhearted. And I wonder today if you have hope. I wonder today where you're at with hope. You know, it's interesting. There's a story about Florence Chadwick. She was a gal that uh, was a famous swimmer back in the 50s. Some of you might have, might have heard of her. She, she actually was born and raised in Point Loma. She swam the English Channel several times, both directions, set world, record, world records, and she, she attempted uh, to swim the Catalina Channel, 26 miles. And uh, 26 miles across the sea, Santa Catalina is waiting for me, right? And so she, she went to, to swim it, and... Um, she was in the water for like 15 hours and the fog set in. And what happened was she began to grow weary. Her mom was in one of the boats that was trailing her and she just cried out to her mom. She's like, I don't know if I can do it. Hour later, she gave up. Why? Because she couldn't see the shoreline. She lost hope. Discouraged, she found out she was only a mile from the beach. So the next year, she tried it again. And the next year, once again, the fog set in. But she said she remembered the discouragement of the, pra- uh, the prior year, and she remembered what had happened, how she had lost hope. And she said, in my mind's eye, I just envisioned it's only a mile away. It's only a mile away. The beach is right there. She just focused on the shore, and she successfully made it. Why? Well, because she had hope. Emily Dickinson said, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul, and it sings the tunes without the words, and it never stops at all. Indeed, hundreds of studies confirm what the Bible has said for thousands of years. Listen, the Bible says that the absence of hope makes the heart sick, but its presence brings life. Now, again, I ask the question, what hope do you have today? Because it means different things to different people. You know, and and some people, they place their their hope in, in relationships, in people. Some people place their, their hopes in jobs. Some people place their hopes in possessions. Some people place their hopes in politicians. You know, Obama ran on hope and change, you know, and so different people. I'm not touching it. I'm not going there, all right? <laughs> but, but, you know, people, they place their hope in different things. Again, you know, relationships. I think about the woman at the well. She placed her hopes in relationships. Jesus showed up, and there's this gal and, uh, and he's, he's telling her about the hope of eternal life. He's like, if you drink of the, of the well that the world has to offer, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink the, of the water that I give you, you're never going to thirst again. She's like, I'll take some of that. He's like, go get your husband. Come back. Tell me about it. She's like, I have no husband. He says, you're right when you say you don't have no, uh, you, when you have no husband. And the truth is you've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with now, he's not your husband. Why? Well, because she placed her hope in relationships. So people place their hope in a lot of different things. Some people place their hope in money. I think of John D. Rockefeller. Here's a guy that, that, the richest man that's ever walked the face of the earth. And he was so ridiculously rich. Somebody actually said to him one time, they're like, how much is enough money? His answer, just a little more. He placed his hope in that. Now, the thing is, is that hope means different things to different people. But all of these examples, relationships, jobs, possessions, politicians, money, All of these examples have one thing in common, and that's this, that they all have an expiration date. Every last one of them, there will come a day when the material things that we hope in, apart from Christ, they're going to let us down. This is what makes our message today, the message of Easter, so vital. Because the message of Easter is that there's hope beyond the grave. Everything else that you hope in is going to, it has an expiration date, 
But there is no expiration date in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that, that transcends, that goes beyond the grave, that in fact has risen from the grave. It's exactly what Peter says to us here in 1 Peter 3, that we have uh, a living hope. Living, never dies. No expiration date. It's not subject to the inevitable end that waits every last one of us. A grave, death. The statistics are overwhelming. 10 out of 10 people die. How's that for a bummer of a start to an Easter message right there? There's an expiration date on your life. There's an expiration on my life. James said that life is like a vapor. You're here for a little while, and then you're gone. Paul said this to the Hebrews. I think Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It's debated, but he said this. He says, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Two things to note about that. First of all, your death is appointed. It's, it's absolutely fixed. It's set. That word appointed means laid away. It means reserved. Some of you, you're prompt, you're prompt people. You're on time. Some of you are chronically late. I'm chronically late. I told my wife when I die, roll the, the coffin in after everybody's already seated so I can be late to my own funeral. That's <laughs> who I am. <clears throat> But your appointment with death, if you're like me and you're chronically late to everything, I, I won't get a license plate frame that says this, this is the earliest I've ever been late, you know. Um, that's an appointment you'll keep. That's an appointment you will be on time for. It's appointed unto man once to die. The second thing I want you to look at there is judgment. You will be judged when you die. The Bible says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You're going to give an account for your life. You will face judgment. Now, why will we face judgment? It's a three-letter word. Sin. Sin is why we will face judgment. It's an archery term. Sin means to miss the mark. And here's the implication, if it's an archery term, and if, if you miss the mark, which is the bullseye, that you're a sinner, here's the implication. It implies that you can miss without really wanting to. In other words, everything within you can try as hard as possible to hit that mark of perfection. And if you miss it, you are said then to be a sinner. As we said in the opening, the Bible makes it very clear, all have sinned. Why? Because ain't none of us perfect, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and and that's a no-brainer. You figure it out. When you work at the end of the week, it's payday. And so there at payday, what do you want? You want what you've earned. Hey, man, I did the job. I put in the work. Give me what's owed to me. So when the Bible says that you're a sinner and you've got payday coming for your sins, It's death. That's what you've earned. Now, this is important. It's not in my notes, and I just want to touch on this because this is critically important. When you read in the book of Revelation, it says there that there's a contingent of people who are going to be judged by their works. Now, the reason this is important and the reason that we all need to pay attention today is because of this, that, you know, there are those that that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind. 
And so because they hold that belief, they think that they're going to heaven. And maybe you, you fit into that category. But here's the scary thing. The Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. They know who God is. They believe who the Son of God is. They believe what he's done. Why are they demons? Why are they bound for hell? Well, because they've rejected the work that Jesus did on the cross. And listen, here's how we reject the work that, de- that Jesus did on the cross. If mentally we get in the place where we think, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in heaven. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind. Great. How do you know that you're going to heaven? And then they immediately will gravitate towards some sort of a variation of, well, I hope my good works outweigh my bad works. Well, I'm basically a good person. I keep the Ten Commandments. You know, something to that effect. Then, listen, you need to consider the fact that you're not trusting in the work that Jesus did on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You're trusting in your own performance. And some of you are in that category today. Every time I speak to a group of people and I point this out, light bulbs go off and people go, well, wait a minute, that is me. Listen, if that's you, if today you would answer the question, how do you know you're going to heaven? By saying, well, I hope, you know, that I'm basically a good person. I ain't Charles Manson, you know, and I, you know, God, he, he, he doesn't grade on a curve, okay? You got one question at the entrance exam in heaven, and that's, what'd you do with Jesus? Who are you trusting for your salvation? You don't want to be judged according to your works, because what will happen is your works will be found wanting. And, and, so, and so if your trust was, I, I hope that my good works outweigh my bad works, you have a very terrifying future that awaits you. No, the only right answer, the only place in your heart that you can get to where you're truly trusting in Christ is to just do that. How do you know, going, you know you're going to heaven? Because Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins in my place. And on the third day, He rose again from the grave, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death. He's the only one who is satisfactory to to, to pay the penalty for my sin. And so that needs to be answered. And some of you need to make that profession today. You need to be able to settle that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. And I'm going to beg you to to respond in in faith to to do that very thing. That, That we need to respond to the cross of Christ because we're all sinners and because the wages of our sin is death. Now listen, this death is both physical and it's spiritual, but here's what Romans 8.10 says. It says, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And that is telling us, in other words, that there's hope. There's hope for every last one of us. Even though we can't escape our appointment with physical death, we can escape our appointment with spiritual death. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter 3. He's saying God, because he's a merciful God, he's begotten us again to a living hope. And that phrase, begotten us again, as I told you, it means to be born again. Now, how are we born again? Jesus speaking to Nicodemus on uh, the occasion, the evening, Nicodemus, he was one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, and, and he recognizes that Jesus ain't from around here. He sees this guy, he sees what he's doing, he's like, dude, you know, nobody can do what you're doing unless, you know, they're, they're from God. Like, what is, what's, what's the drill here? And, and, and so Jesus says this to him, he says, most assuredly, 
I say to you, unless one is born again, this is Jesus' term, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is speaking about a spiritual birth. Now, Nicodemus, he was trying to figure it out. He's like, how, can, what, how do you climb back into your mother's womb and get born a second time? Jesus is like, that wrong answer, that's not what it's all about. It's about being born again spiritually. And listen, here's how Paul described that. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And some of you today, you need a do-over. Some of you today, you need to consider what's going on. You got regret. You don't have peace. You don't have joy. And, and, and there are things in your life that weigh you down. You need to be born again. You need a new life. And listen, that's God's greatest desire for you today. His greatest desire for you, Paul told the Apostle Timothy, he says, God desires all men to be saved. That includes you. You can just put your your name in there. All men, all women. He desires all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now truth, listen, it by definition is mutually exclusive. All right, truth is a very exclusive thing because right now there's a big debate about truth in our society. There's, there's a big debate about truth in our generation, in our culture, which basically says, well, you know, what is truth? You've got your truth and I've got my truth. No, you, that, it, it's impossible. There can only be one truth. You know, I, I, I stand on this bridge and I look down and gravity is either true or it is false. There is only, there is only one truth. And, and so what happens, Jesus, uh, uh, rather Paul, speaking to, to Timothy, he says, look, you got to understand, the desire of God is that everybody gets saved and that everybody comes to the knowledge of the truth. Now, an interesting thing about that, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on, on that morning when he would go uh, at, on trial and then later on that day be crucified, he's speaking to Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of Jerusalem. And he has this exchange with Pontius Pilate. Basically, he says to him in John chapter 18, he says, I have come, this is Jesus speaking, into the world that I might bear witness to the truth. And Pilate responded the same way many of us respond with this philosophical question. Maybe you're wrestling with it today. What is the truth? And the way that it's worded in the Greek makes it abundantly clear what he was really asking. Because the way that Pilate said it, and the way that it's phrased in the original language in which it's written, means that what Pilate was asking Jesus when he said, well, what is truth? Here's what he meant. He meant, what's the truth about life? What's the truth about death? What's the truth about heaven? What's the truth about hell? He was sincerely asking these questions. What's the big E on the eye chart of life? What does it all mean? Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? These are the questions that Pilate was asking Jesus right before he went to the cross. Maybe they're the questions you're asking today. What is the truth? Listen, the Bible says very clearly the truth is is that God desperately desires to have a relationship with you. So much. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus Jesus Christ to the cross to die for you. John 3.16, we, we, we all know it. For, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. This is, this is the, 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 
the eternal truth of God's word. The truth is, is that God's gone to great depths to save you from Satan, from sin, from death, from yourself. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, some people, again, they have the attitude of, well, I got to clean up my life before I come to Christ. No, no, no. God's love is demonstrated for you in that while you're still, metaphorically speaking, in the act of nailing him to the cross, of spitting in his face, of putting the crown of thorns on his head. No, you didn't do those things. They happened thousands of years ago, but they're all a picture of those who reject Christ. But God did it proactively on the front end before you ever lived or sinned. And he hung on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He died for you in your place when you were still rebelling against him. That's the point. Because God loves you. The truth is he cares deeply about you. And the truth is, listen, today you can receive forgiveness and pardon for your sin. You can receive forgiveness for that thing which you come in burdened down by and you think that, no, I can't ever be forgiven of this. Listen, the Bible says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, it means a lot of different things. One of the things that it means, it means to agree with God. To make a confession, we agree with God. What are we agreeing with God about? Well, first of all, we're agreeing with God that our sin is, in fact, sin. We put names on our sin. You know, oh, I, I, you know I'm genetically predisposed to struggle with alcohol. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. I, I, you know, yeah, I got a, I, I got a temper issue. I got, you know, I, I have, you know my, my, my inner child is hurting or whatever it happens to be. But listen, God has one category for it. It's called sin. I don't care what you name it. I don't care what your diagnosis is. I don't care what your genetic makeup is. I don't care about any of those things. Because regardless, and it's not that I don't care, like I don't care about you. No, I don't care what you call it. God calls it sin. But he's given a prescription for sin. It's a confess just to go, yeah, that's, that's nasty. That's ugly. I feel guilty about that. God, forgive me of sin. That's, that's the first part of confession. Another part of confession is that, yes, I feel nasty. I feel ugly. I feel dirty about this thing. I, 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 I'm burdened by this thing that I've done, and I'm sorry for it. But also confession means, God, so are you, and you paid the penalty for this. So, so often we feel like, well, no, I need to beat myself up over this. No, I need to pay the penalty of this. No, because then you're in the category of being judged by your works. You can't pay the penalty. It's your death that's required, period. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. That's it. And so, hey, we confess. God, I'm a sinner by nature and by choice. God, you're the Savior. You've paid the penalty for my sins. And that's the truth. And the truth is today you can have a do-over. Some of you need it. Again, Paul told the Corinthians, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Do you want to be made new today? You can, just to confess, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need forgiveness. I need a do-over, God. And I'm going to give you an invitation to do that today. I'm going to give you an invitation to start over, to be made new, to make that confession of faith when we're done at the end of this message. 
The Apostle Paul told the Colossian church, he said, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. There's this Here's this interesting story. Jesus, he's on the earth and he's with his disciples. He's cruising into the town of Nain and out of the town of Nain is a funeral procession coming. And so there's, there's, the, there's this dude, he, he's checked out. He's in, he's in the, the, the coffin and his mom is leading the procession. She's weeping like only a mother can, can weep for her only son and she has no one left. And so it's just her and now her son is dead and he's going to be buried and Jesus has compassion, and he goes up to the, to the coffin, and he, he says, you know, get up, dude, take care of your mom, and he raises the guy from the dead. Now, let me ask you the question, what could that man in name do for himself to, to, to make himself righteous? <laughs> Nothing. He's in his coffin, man. I mean, so often we have a mindset like, you know, we can pull a bug's money and pull ourselves out of the hat. You know how he does that? He pulls himself out of that. You cannot defy the spiritual laws of physics. You can't pull yourself out of the coffin. But Jesus can. He can raise you from the dead. And that's what Paul says. You are dead because of your trespass and sins. I take a group shot. I take a group picture of you all right now. I'll post it up on the screen. Who's the first person you're going to look for? You. That's what we do. We take a group shot. It's like, how do I look? You know? Well, here's Paul's snapshot in Colossians. Let me tell you how you look, you're dead. But God forgave all your sins, cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He cut away your sinful nature, made you a new creation in Christ. Listen, there on that cross, the Bible says that Jesus died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and who rose again. Jesus rose from the dead. He has power over Satan, sin, and death. He has power over your life to raise you from the dead today. Do you need to be raised from the dead? Do you need newness of life? Because you can have it in Christ. The Bible says that God made man in his own image. You know what that means? It means, again, it means a lot of different things. One of the things that it means when God makes man in his own image, God is sovereign, and man is sovereign. He's made you sovereign. You, you're in charge of you. And you can choose whatever you want. He doesn't force himself on you. He's given you the right. He says, I, I, I set before you today life and death, blessings and cursings. Choose life. And so you, a sovereign being, you have the choice. Adam and Eve had a choice. They chose wrong. They chose poorly. They sinned against God. And therefore, sin entered into mankind, and all of us are sinners because we've inherited it. We've been born into sin. Regardless of our intentions, the Bible is very clear about its consequences. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the first half tells us that the wages of sin is death. And ultimately, as I said, it speaks of a spiritual death, but the truth is sin brings death to every single part of your life. It does. Let me, let, let, me, let me prove it. Sin brings guilt and shame and burdens. These are the effects of sin. And we know guilt. We know shame. We know burdens. See, because the Bible says that God has written his law on the tablet of the human heart. And so when we sin against God, whether we admit that there's a God or not, when we have guilt and shame, 
because of what we've done. That's because our hearts tell us you've violated God's law because he's written it on your heart. And so that is the effects of sin. This guilt, this shame, this burden. That's why drugs and alcohol are so prevalent in our society. That's why they're abused in our society. Do you know the the drug that causes the the most overdoses in our society is, is not heroin, as big of a problem as we have today? It's prescription medication. Some of you, maybe today, you're, you're, you're addicted to prescription medication. What is that a symptom of? It's a symptom of the fact that you have guilt and you have shame and you have burden and life itself is just something. What, when, we, when we get drunk, when we get buzzed, when we get high, what are we seeking to do? We just want escape. Maybe you're looking to escape and I would tell you, you know, that all, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Look, you're looking for your cure in all the wrong places, man. Because it's only available in Jesus Christ and he can make you a new creation in Christ. He can remove the guilt. He can remove the shame. He can remove the burdens because he loves you and he's provided a way for you to be a new creature in him. And so we see the effects of sin all over the place. They're, effect, they're, they're, they're evident in death itself, not just physical death. But spiritual and emotional death, sin brings death to our reputation. It brings death to some of our occupations, to our relationships, to peace in our homes, to to, to our marriages, to our families. Listen, sin brings death to our hopes and to our dreams. Some of you are experiencing that today. Some of you are in the place where ultimately sin has left you hopeless and lacking peace. Do you have peace today? Because you can. God, in the person of the work of Jesus Christ, knocks on the door of your heart right now. He says, I love you. I died for you. And I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you and I'll lift the burden that you're under if you'll surrender your life to me. Listen, the Bible says we're justified by faith. And when we're justified by faith, it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in Jesus Christ, we also have access by faith into God's grace and into his hope. And that's the good news of Easter, guys. There's a hope, and it doesn't stop at the grave. It's a living hope. It goes on and on and on. Yes, the bad news is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But the good news is that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. He's gone great, to great lengths to redeem us. And so the gift of God, Romans 6.23, the second half of that, the good news is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And that word mediator is interesting. It means one who intervenes between the two to make or to restore peace and friendship. Again, I ask you, do you have peace? Because it's available to you today in Christ Jesus. Hey, the Bible says this, what then shall we say to these things? What what do we say to this stuff? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is he who condemns? Listen, God doesn't condemn you. He convicts you of your sin, but he doesn't bring condemnation. 
Condemnation comes from your sinful flesh. Condemnation comes from Satan who whispers in your ear and tells you that you're a blow it and that you, ought to, you just ought to go get high because there ain't any help. No, who is it he who condemns? Listen, here's Paul's answer. It is Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. There it is, right there, right this second, right this moment. You by name, God is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying that you would trust him. He's praying that you would surrender to him. He's praying that he might show his love and pour out his grace in your life. And that invitation is for you today. Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you think it's too late. Maybe today you think you've done too much. No, listen, the Bible says this. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, listen, shall be able to separate you from what? From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you today. He wants to know you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. And so what do we do with this right now, guys? We respond. That's all that's left. We respond to God's love. 